a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. She is a var Chris of an alternate reality. It's Lindsay. Oh, 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 wow. I know I deserve some praise, but I think that's a little too high. Well, I said an alternate reality, so... You could be like a bad version of Avarkris. This is up to the listeners' minds. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I can pick the reality. Exactly. You know, you just just Doctor Strange and just go through realities until you find one that you like. How about that? But but I only have like 0.5 seconds to do it. Oh, you're hyperspace uh, jumping. You're hyperspace skipping through different (laughs) realities. Okay, gotcha. Lindsay, it is so great to have you back on. Missed you talking about Tales of Light and Life last time with Amanda, which of course got us back into the High Republic. And now we are getting the first High Republic novel of Phase 3, Eye of Darkness by George Mann. And I I have no idea what you think. We were just saying this beforehand. No idea what you think. Um, no, You have really no idea what I think unless you've listened to... Um, any of the episodes so far. So yeah, it's going to be a really, really fun conversation. I'm very much looking forward to it. I am too. It's been a while since we've had kind of a, a book like this. I don't want to go too far down the road right now, but we had a lot of great stuff in phase two. We covered that all, but to me, this is really different and already really set apart from what we've gotten so far. Yeah, this one is like an event kind of book um, in terms of like kicking off phase three, getting us back to the characters that we know and love in High Republic. Like phase two was great, uh, but it did have a different vibe to it because it's like, okay, we're just getting backstory now. This is a little bit, I don't want to, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but it was a little bit of a breather in terms of like, all right, like we... We know those other stories are coming. We're getting some background. We can see how this enhances the other stories. Like, I think we're more used to that, going back and filling in the blanks as Star Wars fans. We're not as used to getting new stuff, pushing the stories forward. And so it's really, really exciting, uh, regardless of what anybody thinks of it, to be talking about it once again. But I did want to kind of check in with you, Lindsay, uh, and kind of remind people uh where you're at with high republic as we move from phase two into phase three like how are you feeling what are you looking forward to what are you nervous about any kind of vibes that you have going on so phase three going into it before this book is that is that what you mean do you mean before this book or or now that we kind of have this jumping off point oh no definitely before this book okay so before this book Honestly, my bigger concerns weren't even so much with, oh my God, I wonder what's going to happen to this person or or what's going to um, happen within the Republic or anything like that. My biggest concern was honestly remembering everything and keeping everything straight. Um, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but I found phase one to be good and and really cool but it was hard to really grasp onto one character or even one set of characters and feel that connection i know drew obviously feels different between him and avar chris and and i'm really happy for the people that did gravitate to one particular person or thing in phase one i just so so happen to have trouble doing that um Phase two, I really liked a lot of different parts of it, mostly, as you know, from, from our discussions and just from what interests me outside of Star Wars. The whole cult vibe to it and the the whole religious aspects that went along with it, that really fascinated me. Um, so it's going to be strange to leave that behind because it is something I enjoyed so much. But overall, I think there's just enough 
mystery going into phase three to keep me on the line where it's not like I was ever sitting here dreading going into this and dreading going back to the Nile. Um, it's just, I didn't have that one character, one thing that I sat there over and over and I was like, I can't wait to see Avar again. I can't wait to see Eldar Man again. It's just, it, it was what it was for me. It was the very level set excitement, I think. That's fair. Um, I mean, both you and I have have said like the High Republic is amazing, and I, what I'm about to say is in in no way a slight to the, the to the High Republic, but it it's not our favorite uh, Star Wars books. You know, like we have enjoyed a lot of the one off books a lot more than we've enjoyed any of the the High Republic books. Now, the High exactly. Republic as an initiative itself, as an era, all of those things like top tier. But yeah, the the books that you and I tend to to go towards those books that focus on just like one or two characters, you know, Princess and the Scoundrel, Padawan, uh, you know, Inquisitor, Rise of the Red Blade, like these stories that very much are like, these are these two characters and their story uh, is kind of more our vibe. And so it is a little uh, difficult when you're spread so thin in the High Republic. And that was one of our biggest issues with phase one, which they kind of took care of by killing off like everybody um no one was safe so you know efficient storytelling as it is uh but yeah no like i didn't realize how excited i was to get back to this uh until we got to to this book and so i'm very much like i said looking forward to to discussing this and and what they've done with the book so let's jump right into it and get our ratings uh we rate on a scale of five uh, we can have parts like uh, St- uh, Starlight Beacon. We can break into parts. And uh, Lindsay, I'm going to let you go first. How do you rate this yeah. book? I'm very anxious about this right now, but go ahead. All right. I am going to give this a four out of five, which by no means is the highest I've ever given a Star Wars book. But I think it might be the highest I've given a High Republic book. And if it's not... It is only because four out of five is is harder to break down. If we were doing, you know, dec- decimals or anything, I might be a little. Oh, you could do four point three seven. However, yeah, you want to do. Uh, yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. So if we were doing the four point three sevens, um, or if this is being, you know, judged in a committee, um, college football style, it yeah, might be a yeah. little different. Yeah, we, they, we can make like college football. We can just make up the rules however we we want to. Rest in peace, Seminoles. Um, Hate you. No, so but much. but overall, I think this is my highest rated High Republic book so far. Yeah, if I were to pull one that you might have scored a four out of five before, the only one I could think of would be Light of the Jedi. Um, yeah, and I, I and don't I, even know if it would if I did. I, I yeah, I don't know either. You'd have to go back yeah. and listen in the archives. I can say that this is uh, probably no. This is my highest rated High Republic book. I think again, Light of the Jedi. Maybe there's a slight chance I rated this a five out of five, or excuse me, Light of the Jedi five out of five. But this one I put at a very solid, very comfortable four and a half out of five. Uh, mm-hmm. To be totally honest, before I started doing my notes this morning and kind of like I posted the book, you know, of stuff I want to talk about or things I think are important. And so I'm going through going, man, I really did like that part. Ooh, I like that part. Oh, I'm wondering about that. Yeah. Ooh, this is. Yeah. And so it, it is the definition of a page turner. Uh, mm-hmm. I loved the short chapters. I think that. Really, oh, my God. I was just going to say that. It at, I, I love short chapters in books because it's like, all right, cool. I can read the next chapter and then I can read the next chapter and then I can read. And you're just like, all of a sudden you're like, man, this thing moves so quickly. Now I'm through like 20 chapters, but I also only have two more hours to sleep before work. Exactly. Yeah, but it's one of those things where it's like, well, I'm not gonna not read this three-page chapter. Exactly. How lazy but, are you? But it goes back to I forget. Oh my goodness gracious! I forget what book we were talking about this. But I think it was actually in phase two, and oh, it's gonna drive me crazy until I remember. But I think one of our complaints was actually that the chapters were so long, where we wanted to stay with one character for a certain amount of time. And then all of a sudden, you weren't at that that point of view anymore. You weren't with that character. 
And it was like another 90 pages, it felt like, until you were back. So for this to, once the pace really picked up, to be able to jump back into every single part, but still be interested in every single part, I think was a, a really big piece that we've been missing from Star Wars sto- stories as of late. Yeah, that's a, a great point. And like, so I'm reading Crimson Climb right now and opinions of that book aside, we'll save that. But <laughs> I will say that, um, I'm not going to say positive or negative, just opinions. Uh, I will mm-hmm. say that like mm-hmm. the chapters are really, really long. Uh, or at least it feels really, really long after reading this. I'm like, I could read one more chapter. And then I flipped it. I'm like, that's like 20 pages. I can't read one more chapter tonight. So that this... I, I love those vibes that you get from a, a quickly paced book that just continues to push you to, to read more. And yeah, that's what I wanted to do here. Like the whole time I wanted to read more of this. I wanted to like even th- predictable things like uh, with Avar, you're kind of like, OK, I know she's going to get the song back. I don't know if it's going to happen in this book, but I know she's going to get it back. But you wanted to see how it was going to happen, you know, and I think that's the uh the sign of a really good story is not that you just want to see that something happens, but you care about how it happens and what that's going to mean for your characters, for in this case, your galaxy, uh, the Jedi order, all of those things. I think if you have that, that's a sign of a really, really solid uh, piece of writing. It is, but the other part too, and it goes really with what we were talking about in the intro is we narrowed the field down enough where I feel comfortable and I feel familiar enough with every character. Whereas before it was a little overwhelming at parts to, to remember. A little? We talked about making a flow chart, like a, a high Republic flow chart with like pictures and laminating that thing. If you watch any of the Yellowstone shows and now you have to remember too, like, okay, this isn't just the how the, the family is related in this one show, but then you have to go back 150 years to when this other show takes place and then jump forward 50 years, and then you have those big timelines. And it's so overwhelming, but it doesn't give you enough time to sit there and actually understand and remember who certain characters, especially the Jedi, were. Um, I think phase one, it was a lot easier to remember and keep track of the Nile, whereas now it's it's kind of flipped a little bit um, because I love that in phase one, they had these deaths. I know it's crazy to say. I think I said that as we, we wrapped up phase one, actually, too, was that I love that they had all those deaths because it was it was heart wrenching. Now I love it because it is just a small enough group of characters for me to wrap into a big hug and be like, come here, you guys, let's get to know each other. And I really do get to sit and understand who each of them are and more importantly, where each of them are, what their goals are and how they might go about completing those goals. And honestly, I care about them. I now can honestly say I care about each Jedi in the High Republic era, and I I don't think I could have said that before. I was more worried about, can I name each one of them? Now, I care about each one. And it's so weird because it's almost doing the opposite of what Marvel has done, where they have this little tiny core group, and then once you're familiar with everyone, you grow it and you grow it and you grow it until you have, you know the Avengers as as we know them now. Instead, it kind of went backwards. And it was like, we're going to give you the biggest group possible. And then we're going to whittle it down to these, these core group of characters that you really care about. And that was such a big selling point to me because I was truly invested and fully aware of each one. Yeah, that's one of the things we talked about with phase one is like, you don't have a protagonist. You don't have like even a a one core group that are the protagonists. Like we knew that Elzar and Stellan and Avar were supposed to be that, but that didn't really fully come to form until we got to the fallen star, right? And then you're losing Stellan. It's like okay, so what does it even really mean? And here, I mean, 
it is so blatantly clear, like even with the Porter Engel story, the Bell and Beriaga story, all mm -hmm. of these other things, Elzar and Avar are the story that they're telling. Elzar yeah. and Avar yeah. are the High Republic. And I've always enjoyed Avar. Not reading the comics, I didn't feel like I really got enough to know her very well in phase one. Elzar, I saw the potential, but he was kind of, I don't want to say a take it or leave it character for me because I, I did like the potential that he had with the, you know, messing with the dark side and stuff of that nature. Uh, I, I really liked, you know, what happened with him on Valo and, and how that led him to go train with Orla. But he was never like, I'm never opening the book to read about Elzar, you know, like I, I do with like a Vernestra. Holy hell, Elzar just skyrocketed to like yeah. top tier High Republic characters. This book just getting to see like he was so relatable for me as somebody who handles trauma by ignoring what's actually like the cause of it and just pushing forward. Oh, I'm just going to solve this problem and that'll solve all the other problems. And that's what he was doing here is, oh, I'm just going to figure out how to get the storm wall down and it'll solve everything else. And it was like there's real consequences for those kinds of actions and it costs, you know, hundreds, thousands of lives. And he had to actually face that. Like, this isn't just, he makes a brash decision and it, you know, it hurts him, but it, and it, and it kills a bunch of bad guys. This is your costing lives of, of the people you're so, you know, mm -hmm. to, here to protect. And that's a big deal. I want, I want to even go into what happens before that too. And what leads him there. Because one of the things that makes him such an interesting character, and I wouldn't be surprised if by the time the High Republic was all said and done, when we talk about the greatest Jedi of all time, he's up there with, maybe not with Obi-Wan Kenobi, but he's up there with with uh, with Luke, even with, with Rey and, and so on and so forth. Because what makes him a really interesting character to me is throughout this whole thing, he is in the situations he's in, and not once does he really think, okay, what should I do? His way of thinking is, what would Stellan do? And it's so cool to see someone who really, when, when you talk about the way he handles trauma, I think that's the way a lot of other people would handle trauma. Not, I'm in this situation, I'm going to take ownership and because I'm taking ownership, this is what I'll do. He, the entire time, is thinking, what would somebody else do? What would, in this case, it's his friend, but other people would think, what would my hero do? What would my parents do? And it's not in a way that they are shoving ownership of their decisions away from themselves. But instead, it's how can I try and be better? And what makes him a really great character is more and more towards the end of this, we start to see him thinking in his own terms and realizing that he can't be Stellan. He can't be someone else. He has to not just take ownership, but he has to think the way he wants to think and act the way that he would normally act. And he keeps saying too, he tries to remember these lessons from, from Orla and, and tries to remember his old self and, and who he was when he had these people around him. Now he has to be that person without those crutches. And seeing him try and stumble his way into that is awesome. But even more so, seeing him make a mistake after mistake into that is so cool to get to read. And it's something where if this were just one book, I don't think we would get that. I think it would be a much faster, here's this character, here's this, this, event and here's how they grew no instead we get to see him killing all these innocent people who followed his command and believed in him we get to see him give bad advice to the the chancellor in in what she should do in a diplomatic situation and he has to now deal with these consequences while still getting other people around him to listen and respect him when he's struggling to do that himself and that to me makes him I think the most compelling character now in the High Republic. I mean, yeah, uh, I didn't know we were calling me out on this episode, but like, that's exactly like the way Elzar behaves in this book is exactly the way that I act, which made him very relatable to me. So like, 
But I, I like that though. And I, I, I've said this with other stories too, but I hate when it's just, Hey, here's this character who's so brave and they always know what to do. No, I like seeing that relatability. Listeners don't know, but you know, I lost my dad in April unexpectedly. And I immediately, I mean, my dad was like to say he was my hero is my hero is, is the understatement of my life. But he, like, I immediately went into a mode of, I'm now responsible for the family. I can't fill his shoes, you know, thinking in context of what would my dad do. And there's, there's definitely value in that when you're, you're following somebody who is moral and hardworking and, and stuff like that. But the, the danger in that, like you were pointing out, and the danger Elzar is facing is losing who you are, right? And so for me, it was my family and the support around me that were able to shake me out of like, we're, we're doing this together, you know, like nobody can fill his shoes. Like he was the rock of our family. He kept everything afloat. Nobody, no single person is going to be able to do exactly what he did. Like we're all going to use our strengths to be able to, to fill that void, you know, and, and hopefully not just like fill it and patchwork it, but create something new and beautiful in it. And that I think is the the journey that Elzar is going on here is realizing, you know, even just beyond Stellan is realizing he has the people behind him to believe in him. And and the challenge of that, of course, is, you know, you've got Chancellor So believing in him. He knows Avar believes in him. But the Jedi Council is very, like, wobbly, right? And then you have this moment when you get um, Aslan Rell. And he says to Elzar, I see a lot of myself in you. And uh, it's just like, it's crazy that he, you know, how realistic it is to have all of these different tensions pulling on you. And it's like, what is actually true? We want it to be this straight line and it's just not. And that's like so hard to unpack and so rare for us to see a, a character struggling with in a book. It's like, it's not just, side a versus side b devil on your shoulder angel on your shoulder you know your buddies versus your parents it's literally he's got like pinocchio strings just dragging him in a million different directions in terms of what his actual identity is uh especially after the loss of stellan and and it's mm -hmm. it's compelling as all all get out yeah i think it's a, a cool way to also just tie in phase one um because you have the constant reminder of what was through Stellan mm. and it's not like every single person is there sitting mourning the the way that he is but it's a really nice reminder of like hey this isn't easy for them they lost some major players and this should be really difficult and honestly it was really difficult I love that every time we were like oh okay cool we're about to win we didn't yeah. And and there was so much packed in the back half of the book that I, I was like getting towards the end. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is going to be where things end. And then it didn't. Then I was like, this is going to be. And it was just like it never fully uh, wrapped up until like the very last few pages. You know, in a lot of books you have like eh, 15, 20 pages where they kind of, you know, have people living in their new life, that resolution kind of aspect and even if it's in a series, you've kind of got like a, a wrap up, a series, you know, a season finale kind of situation. And this didn't have that. It was very much like on the next episode of High Republic, like this is what we're getting with uh, with that moment of Avar and Elzar touching hands briefly. And like, <laughs> dude, I have not was, shipped something really this hard in it a long really time. Good. So good. I think because, though, there's that, there still is, like, the true will they, won't they, just because they might take their vows kind of seriously. So I think there's still that tension of, like, hey, look, they might find their way back to each other, but are they going to find their way back to each other? Yeah, there's, and I keep thinking about, okay, these Jedi in the High Republic behave so differently from the Jedi we get in the prequels. And yes, it's mm -hmm. far away and there's plenty of time for that development. I don't think it's going to be like, oh, here's point A, here's point B. I, I think we were going to have to make a few logical you know, steps in terms of what happened. But I think it's also going to be like, 
Avar and Elzar are probably the reason that they completely cut off emotional attachments, you know, like here in the High Republic, it kind of sounds like, you know, Jedi have their flings and in, in interactions with each other. Yeah. yeah. And once we get to like the, uh, the prequel era, like I know we've got, you know, Obi-Wan and Satine and we've got these ships, but I don't think Obi-Wan and Satine were like having a nightcap. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I think it was a lot stricter <laughs> than that. So, uh, but you mentioned kind of like, you know, dealing with the morning and obviously like there's a lot of mourning of starlight and everything uh, with Avar and and uh, Elzar's more focused on the loss of Stellan and everything. But I kind of felt like we didn't get the the kind of mourning that I, I wish we would have. Uh, I think the biggest issue with this book is even though it's only a year after phase one. It feels like so much happened off screen that I'm almost like, hold on, where's my like intermission novel? Because we had, you know, dealing with the after effects of Starlight, which, of course, we got some of that, like I said, but I would have liked more of it. We got the building of the Stormwall, the occlusion zone. We got, I, can, I, I talked about this on Tales of Light and Life. We got Bell and Buryaga connecting in another story we got Mellis strike we got capturing uh grandmaster vitar we got general vs coming in like there's all these things that happen somewhere else and personally for me that made it at the beginning quarter of the book maybe third of the book a little bit harder to get into it because i was just so frustrated of like i want to know when this went up and what happened immediately after it and i I think that's a, a double-edged sword because it's like, well, you want to know more. So that means this initiative is working. You care about this world. But also, like, I, I felt like it was a little bit of a problem of understanding exactly the dynamic the galaxy had in that first part of the book. Did you get that kind of feel as you were going? Yeah, it's funny, though, because like I was saying with, you know, there was so much to wrap your head around for phase one. I kind of had a different approach to this than I normally do. I don't think I even really shared it with you yet. But normally, as soon as I see a name or an event or a planet, I'm usually pretty good about remembering what show or what book it's from or anything like that. But unless it's something like Tatooine, Coruscant, Naboo... I always kind of like to just do a quick little search on Wikipedia and just like correct myself almost like, Oh yes, this is where I know this, this name from, from this one little mention in a clone wars episode or something like that. This time around, I actually didn't do it until like the end of the book. So there were a few times when I would stop myself to be like, I don't remember this from phase one, or I don't remember what happened here. But because of that intermission, I was kind of just like, you know what, I'm going to finish the next few chapters or whatever it is. And if I still don't really get what's going on, then I'll do a little search. I didn't have to do any little searches um, throughout the entire thing because things would pick up and I would, I would understand, okay, this isn't something we've seen before. This is kind of intentionally kept away right now. And I was caught up pretty quickly. But it's only because if it, if it was no intermission or if this was all still just like a, a one phase and one series kind of thing, I would have been a lot more skeptical and wary and felt like I was missing out. Yeah, that's a good point. Like the way that they formatted things has helped that uh but man, like, there's just so much. There's so much good stuff going on here, like from the get go. And and I said in Amanda and I's light and life discussion, Bell and Buryaga getting reunited should not have been in a separate book. Like I, it should not have been in a YA short story. I agree. Yep. When you yeah, so like that is a complaint that I have, and I'm sure. There's people, you know, yelling at the podcast right now going, that happened in the comics, and I get that. Like, I'm sure there's stuff that happened in the comics that I'm missing. But when they are important things to the story... Not just their relationship, though, their entire goal of, hey, we have this 
other plan that we think is going to work. I think that's something that really should have been very, very, very clearly stated. But I do think George Mann did a great job of showing the care of that relationship and that friendship, as well as cluing us into this is going to be a pretty big part moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's not the what happens in the novel that bothers me of it. It's the opportunity cost of, man, wouldn't it have been cool to get these stories. But regardless, like, that's really my only, that's the half point knock on this one, really, is, is all of that stuff, is there are... A significant, not not significant, that's a a strong word. There are certain characters that I either A, want to be invested in that I don't feel like we've gotten the opportunity or B, don't really care about and feel like I should. Like Mela Shrike and General VS, I don't really care about either of them. And I feel like it would, it'd be a little bit better if we cared about them, like we cared about a Lorna D. Like we're like, I want to see what happens here. You know, like is she... Is this going to end up the direction I thought it is where she's going to be her own destruction or is it going to be something else? And even at the beginning, you know, we get the the Patre Vitar being a grandmaster and being captured by Mela's Shrike and all of these other things. It's like, yeah, I care because he's a, a character. I care because he's a Jedi. Obviously, he's a grandmaster, so he's got to be pretty good at it. But I don't really care. I don't know this guy. No, but I did like that it was like a, we're not pulling our punches. And there were actually a few other parts where I could see that in my head. And if it was a movie, it would have been scary. And there were a Mm. few other parts where I could see it in my head. And if it was a movie, I might have closed my eyes because I was like, "Eh, this is getting pretty gory. Yeah, especially the part with the nameless, like actually getting to see him turn to a husk. Yeah. And yep. making the Jedi watch it, like, oh. Yep. So there was that. There's even the, the it goes into, like, some detail about the, the Nile, like, just having these brawls and trying to kill each other. And, mm. no, isn't this a fun little game? But the way it's it's shown is very much like, the stakes are real here, guys. This isn't going to be like a Star Wars you sit down and watch with, with your kids, your nieces, nephews, whatever it is. This is some real stuff that we're going to be dealing with. So I didn't necessarily care about a lot of the stuff because of the characters. I cared a lot because to me, the stakes are that much higher now going into any other story. Um, But yet to your point about the Nile, I think while they were the more compelling part of phase one, a lot of the new characters introduced on that side didn't really do it for me, but some of the characters they introduced for the Republic characters, I really liked. Um, what's the Upnaut's name? Bellin. Oh um, yeah. I thought I thought he was a great addition through and through, and I thought it would be one of those like he's in a scene or so, and he just becomes some fun trivia for us later on. I really like the role he played. I really like the comedy he brought to it, and I really like the opportunities that he was able to give other people. And I don't think we necessarily got that from the Nile. I do, though, think maybe that's also intentional because we're starting to see more and more. Look, the Nile are in this well-organized machine that we thought they were. They really are just a whole bunch of of scumbags. So maybe it's intentional that we didn't connect with any of the new ones so much. So just on the Bellin thing real quick, I totally, I don't know if you remember the episode of Rebels where Chopper steals the leg from the Ugnaught, but I could not, <laughs> I could not not picture Bellin as an animated character. So like any scene Bellin was in, in my head, it just became Star Wars animation because I just yes. had those comedy yes. vibes. It was so good. But going yeah. to your idea about the Nile and stuff, like I think these new characters are essentially just going to be cannon fodder. Um, I think... Mm-hmm. There, there's a level A where, or level one where you just have nameless, faceless stormtroopers getting killed. And you're like, okay, yeah, like they, they're not important. You've got another level where you give them names. You've got another level where you maybe give them titles and maybe one relationship. And then you've got, you know, you get deeper and deeper. And 
with the Nile, I feel like we're kind of at that level one, level two, where you're you're just giving them a name or a title just so that they can, uh, you know, seem like they matter, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. And so you see that there is a cost to the Nile. I don't think we're really supposed to care about it. And I don't necessarily mean care as even like be sad about the loss. I just mean like be invested in the fact that the Nile no longer have this person uh, right. working with them. But I, I, I think you were spot on that the, the Nile are just scumbags. They're just crap. And I really wonder if Marcion Rowe actually has a plan. You know, like he he plays that in control role very well. And, you know, the, oh, you don't know what I'm actually doing. And you go ahead and do that because there's nothing you can do about it anyways. I've already seen five moves ahead of you kind of idea. But then when you actually yeah. look at what he's done, you're like, bro, what? Where is this going? Like, are you going to try to capture and individually murder every single Jedi with the nameless? Like, what is your actual plan like i feel like his goal is pretty clear he wants to destroy the jedi in republic but the how are you getting there you've done all this stuff and and devore put it nicely he's like the dog chasing the uh the the car right like once he catches the car what do you do with it and like i don't think martian Rowe knows exactly what he wants to do like it he he seems like he has a plan and also zero direction at all right and so there's this quote here uh it's on page 108 it says row carried a walking carried on walking ignoring the chiding amused tone of the ghost burying the welling anger he's been hearing his father's voice more often in recent weeks along with another one from the distant past and never any whose story had echoed through the centuries a name he had heard a thousand times as a child marta row the original founder of the nile and I think that like he is motivated and pushed by these ghosts that he sees uh, that that haunt him of like, I've got to complete this mission of destroying the Jedi, you know, getting justice for my family, however he envisions it. And I don't think he has a clue how the hell he's going to do it. Like, I think he, he has... He's like a football coach that's like, I got this great recruiting class, but I don't have a, a, a game plan of what I'm going to do with them once we get on the field. So like, all right, cool. Uh, let's tackle. And, that you know, that's just what he does. It, it Yeah, but it's so weird because of how many other characters are like, oh, no, he was a step ahead of me again. But it's like, but for, for what? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's weird because normally I would say like, not knowing the villain's motivation, or and not even motivation, but direction is, is detrimental because we don't know what our heroes are fighting against. But here, it's actually done quite well of, like, we don't know what our heroes are fighting against. Like, yeah. they're fighting these objects. They're fighting these creatures. They're fighting the Stormwall and the Nameless and the Nile. But there's something big happening here. There's something bigger than just... Martian is just trying to kill off individual Jedi as many as possible till he goes down. Like he is trying to get to something that I don't think the Jedi fully understand yet. And that it's going to help. Sh it's going to cause a, a new shape for the Jedi order. Like they are going to have to become something that I think will lead them down the path of, okay, now we are the grand part of the grand army of the Republic. Like, I think that starts here. I think, they even planted the seeds. There's a, a line from Bell where he says, or he's thinking, in this war, and it was a war to Bell, every single life mattered. Every death was failure. What else uh, for, What else did for light and life mean if not that? And, I mean, obviously love him like, you know, hey, every life matters. I don't want to, I've got to take what I'm doing seriously. But that first part is what really stood out to me is he's calling it a war, whether it's in his head or not. And we've talked about, you know, are the Jedi, should they be involved in wars on a, a galactic level? Like, I think there's arguments to be made both ways for that. But I think these little seeds are being planted of they're going to, they're going to have to become something that they were not intended to become in order to defeat this, uh, uh, this threat in the Nile. You know, like they, they can, they can kill off all the Nile, like, and they're just going to rebuild. So to take down the institution, to take down Marcion Rowe, they're really going to have to become 
something else. And so I think yeah. we, we kind of see that on the grand scale with the Jedi. And we're also kind of seeing it on a smaller scale when we look at characters like Avar and her struggling with her own identity. Like that is, is key to uh, her story here. And I think kind of like uh, Vitar is, is kind of an avatar for what, you know, Martian Rowe wants to do for to the Jedi is destroy them using the nameless. Like I think Avar Chris is in a way an avatar for the Jedi Order as a whole, being, you know, quote unquote the best among us. And so getting to see her really struggling with what the hell is a Jedi anyway? Like I know what a Jedi is when I'm in this institution. What the hell is it when I'm outside of it? And that's something, you know, we got to see Obi-Wan deal with in the Kenobi series. It's it's just a really interesting thing. We see Ahsoka facing it. It's really interesting to to think about, like, what are you without this institution? Yeah. I mean, in terms of the, the kind of galactic war and having to become something and, and really define that in order to take them down, I think that's something that was so heavily played with in I keep going to call it season one in phase one. Um, whereas now I think it's time to shift that and really start to dive into these nameless and really start to tie in, you know, every phase and every story, because that to me is the more compelling part. Now the Nile really, really cool. Like them a lot. Missed them in phase two. Now though, I'm ready to call them what they are and what, and maybe call them out on what they're not and focus mm-hmm. more on those nameless. Um, but I'm happy you brought up that, that passage um, on page 108 with him. Um, how does he say he'd been hearing his father's voice more often in recent yeah. weeks, which leads us to believe this has been an ongoing thing along with another. And then he goes on and he goes, perhaps he was just tired. Perhaps. To me, this kind of had major, like, Hamlet vibes to me and, and mm. the ghost in Hamlet. Do you think that Marcian Rowe is actually hearing these voices and these will be characters that we come to see later on and they really do kind of incite a plot in a certain way? Or do you think he's truly just going mad and this is just going to be something that's more forgotten about? Well, I don't think that they are real in terms of like, I don't think it's the surviving ghosts from the past that are actually talking to him. I think, however, that it is real in the way that uh, Marta had uh, in uh, in phase two, she had the ghost that haunted her in Path of Vengeance. Uh, I think it's that kind of situation. Maybe it's not as fully formed as that. You know, we, we kind of get it with force ghosts, you know, as Luke gets stronger, Obi-Wan becomes clearer to him. Right. So I think this is going to be kind of the reverse of that as, as Martian sinks deeper and deeper into madness, these ghosts are going to become more and more realistic to him and to us, the reader. But I don't think that they are actually like really talking to him through the force or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I guess, well, I think, I think you're right about the phase two kind of ghosts and voices, but I am going to be interested to see just how far we go and how far the people around Martian let him go before they start to realize something's a little off here. Yeah. I mean, we definitely got characters pushing that, you know, we've got Gearstaros trying to get them to be a part of the Republic. And of course, you know, he doesn't want any of that. And, we even have some of the the Niles start saying to Staros, they're like, we kind of agree with you. Like, we, we need to do something about this. So is it even going to be the Jedi that truly bring the Nile down? Or are they going to bring themselves down? Like, there's a lot of question there. I think the Nile are going to bring themselves down. We've got to start to see little pieces of this, right? Like, someone goes up, I forget who goes up to, to Jira and says, like, hey, look, people are, are listening people agree with you or we have those people ready to mobilize. I think we start to see that. But the question is, can the Nile take themselves down from the inside and the Jedi still be safe until we truly figure out what the nameless are? 
That's the problem. I, it's going to come down to the test of time. Can the Jedi beat the Nameless before the Nile takes down themselves? Yeah, and that's the thing that I am really intrigued by in the story that we only got a, a little nugget of is the Aslan Rel story. Um, mm, he that, was, is, that was cool. Dude, it was so cool. So he's a former Jedi. This is what it says in the in the book. A former Jedi who embraced the dark side and prolonged his life unnaturally on the Archaean power it granted him. And of course, he's the one I mentioned earlier that says, I see a lot of myself in you to Elzar, which I think is a, a huge setup. But one, you've got Yoda bringing him in. Um, and, and so there's weight there in the decision made by Yoda relating him to Elzar him being the only person or the only force user that has survived an attack by the nameless. There's a lot here that's going to happen with this character. And I think the two things that I'm most excited about going forward to find out more of is what exactly they're going to do with Elzar and Avar. Like I want to see how far they're willing to take that storyline and also what's going to happen with this Aslan Rel story, because like it's it's one thing to bring in a, a fallen Jedi. Like that's we've got a lot of that, but it's it's another thing to have Yoda bring him in and to have him have faced the nameless and survived, probably because of his connection to the dark side. Then you've got this character who's touched the dark side, who's trying not to go down that road. That he's like, "Yo, bro, like let's be friends." It's really like we got like two maybe three pages with him so good do you think there is and the answer can be no and that's that because i realize this is a big 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 stretch do you think there is any relation to his name and aslan from the lion the witch and the wardrobe Ooh. or do you uh, think it's just a, a fun coincidence I don't know. These are some um, well-read authors that we're talking about. Uh, we know that they really thought about what makes Star Wars Star Wars, and a lot of that comes from influences outside of Star Wars. You know, we've we've got a ton of that throughout this series, um, both in like real-world analogies of, of the the frontier and the Wild West, and and even you know, like you said, stuff with like Hamlet of the Ghost. So. I would say like chance it's like a 60 40 chance uh but it's a 60 40 chance I would be comfortable betting on that it does have at least some connection whether it's actually like this if you if you look at you know the character in line witch and wardrobe you can see where we're going with this versus just we like the way the name sounded like that's what I'm not Yeah I mean cuz if if you think about Aslan in line the witch and the wardrobe too that is as good and as pure as you can get. Yeah. Which could be them saying, like, trust this guy. Right. Well, that's that's more what I'm thinking, because Aslan himself isn't the only hero, right? Aslan takes these, these innocent and struggling and flawed people and brings them to victory. And I think that, if anything, is what we'll get from Aslan Rell, where, yeah, of course, he's he's touched the dark side and, and he's not a Jedi anymore for, for a reason. But I think he would be able to come in and, and find, you know, the Elzar Mans and the Avar Chris and be able to say, hey, look, I can get you to where you need to be. Yeah. It'll be interesting because, like, I'm thinking about Dark Disciple and how you know, Ventress cha uh, trained Quinlan in the dark side and the Jedi were like, ah, oh, he can, he can skirt it. He, he'll be okay. And Asajj is like, you can't halfway the dark side. Like it's all or nothing. Yeah. And so, so yep. is it going to be that same message there? Uh, it, it'll be really interesting to see. And I mean, I think, you know, obviously Rel has, it, I'm not sure how old he is, but I get the impression he's been around for a long time. And then we have Porter Engel, who's also been around for a long time and, and has that connection to phase two in terms of like being alive then. And, and so we start to see things get tied together there. But the the moment that like stood out to me with him is when he mentions his adoptive sister, Barish, 
Did you catch this connection? I didn't, no. Okay. You're about to be like, oh, you're about to be like that, uh, that gif where you know, okay. all the kids are face to, hands to their face. <laughs> so his adoptive sister, whose name is Barish, who took a vow. <gasps> Barish vow. Oh, my God. From, from the Darth Vader comic, oh for those of you who God. are not. Yeah. <gasps> Isn't that crazy? I have so many questions. So many wow. questions. Wow. Like, I what does an adoptive sister mean to a Jedi? Like, what is I need all of it. Tell me all of it. I mean, I wonder if maybe once you all follow in what we now know as the bearish vow, do those become like your adopted brothers and sisters? Or is it something entirely different? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it could just be a really cool reference that we get nothing else on. But I just, I loved the, I loved the reference. I mean, that's, I that's true. Because when we first found out about the bearish vow back in the Vader comic, I figured that was also Charles Soule, who... Is involved in the Republic. Yeah, he's not like the hands-on guy, especially as of late, but he's still involved. Um, and I, is is he doing anything for Phase Three? Uh, he is writing, I believe, the final adult novel of the High Republic. Okay, yeah, but figure that was him who who introduced it, and now we get it again. And I feel like when the Bearish Bow first came out, like many, many, many other things in Star Wars, we get so hyper focused on it, and we're so excited, and we're like, of course they're going to give us more about this. And then here we are. I mean, Vader comic must have been what six years ago, seven years ago, oh, maybe. God, dude, no, it, it, and we and we got nothing I think about it. it yeah, I think it, it was the 2017 run. It wasn't the the first yeah. Darth Vader run. So yeah, wild stuff. But I wanted to ask you something else about Porter because you know we get this history with him and General VS, and like that would have been a cool story to get more of in Phase uh, Two, and and it might be in the Blade comic that I haven't read yet that that Drew and Devor really are pushing. So I probably will check that out at some point, but. I think something that Porter considers as he is fighting VS is something that we really have to think about with the Jedi, especially moving forward. So it's on page 142, and he says he blamed VS for that. And while he didn't seek vengeance, he knew that was a path he should never allow himself to tread. He did want justice for all the pain and suffering the woman had the woman had caused. Look, maybe somebody has a very clear dictionary definition of the difference, but in action, what's really the difference between vengeance and justice in terms of what the Jedi are doing? Like, Ooh. I think in, in, in our world, we have a clear culture where like going and getting revenge on and killing somebody would be vengeance and justice would be allowing the court system to to play its role, right? And we can have arguments about, you know, the validity of the court system and yada, 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 right? But just for basic tenets for us to consider, like, I think we have a line that we can differentiate, even if we can't define, because I would argue there's a very shaky definition between the two, what vengeance is versus what justice is. But when you're talking about a Jedi, right? And a 200-year-old grudge, what's the difference? And I think that's something we really have it's, to think of as they start to fight question, them out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, are huh. we doing this because we want justice and protection for the Republic? Or is that what's on our t-shirt? But what's like underneath there is we want vengeance for those you took from us. I think that's something we're really going to have to have to think of, about more. Um, so anyways, I just wanted to mention that with, with, uh, with him and... I guess kind of the last major thing, I mean, with all these hyperbolic books, we're never going to be able to cover this in the hour we have for this show. So we're going to miss a lot of stuff. But I think the other major thread we need to think about and talk about is Avar and the song uh, and just how mm. that reflects her journey throughout the story. Uh, I don't know if they discussed this 
like approach in the beginning, you know, when they talked about making the or presenting the force in different ways. I don't know if this was all part of the plan of, oh, cool, then we'll have a VAR be a song because then the song can get out of tune or anything like that. Regardless, I think it is just a, a an absolute ama- amazing storyline to have in this book and to show us Avar's progression throughout the story. You know, you get her not even being able to really hear it, and then she can hear it, but it's really dissonant. And then she's getting little melodies, but a lot of dissonance and static and stuff. And then by the end, when she's with Elzar, wink, wink, all of a sudden, the song becomes very, very clear. So how did you feel about that particular storyline? I liked it. Mostly, though, what I what I really liked about it was that she didn't let it deter her. She didn't sit there thinking, I can't do anything because I can't hear this as, as clearly and as crisply as I normally do. It was a struggle for her, but... She didn't just sit on the sidelines and just wait for things to be better. She still had this real mission and and this real passion for what she was going to try and do um, for the people who she could potentially help. And it just wasn't easy. But I think a lot of other characters would have just been like, oh, no, shucks. And that would be it. Well, and and that's the thing, like, what she's doing wasn't easy on many levels. Like it's not easy to, you know, be behind the storm wall and even getting a a couple barrels of grain to this village we saw was extremely challenging and life threatening. But then it's on another level when she realizes like, how did I do the right thing? And it still wasn't the right thing, you know, in terms of she helped this community for a couple weeks I, th- I think is I think they say the grain will last in yeah. like two weeks, and she's like, "But it's not enough." But I also know when I was trying to do all of it, it was too much, and that led us down this path. Like to me, her journey that she's going on is becoming the definition of finding balance, right? Where it's, it's almost always this moving point, which is I think why these stories can be told in you know, similar ways, but also in different ways where we can get things like the sequel trilogy that reflect the original trilogy and the prequels, but then we can also get something new like the High Republic or like the Mandalorian because balance is an ever-moving target that we're having to find within ourselves and within the the world and the galaxy around us. And I think that's what we're getting to see with Avar is like, yes, absolutely, you should help get two barrels of grain to the these villagers but with great power comes great responsibility like you can't just sit back and be the everyday neighborhood spider-man all the time like sometimes there are bigger threats out there that you are one of the only ones that can deal with them and what are you going to do when that becomes the thing you're most scared to do like that is just i mean i i have enjoyed Avar in all of the stories, Light of the Jedi, it was fantastic getting to see her. This is, for a book that doesn't have her on the cover, this is Avar's best book. Like, because I think that that, the story between her and Elzar, both individually and together, I think is going to define the Jedi and the High Republic. And, and I'm really excited to see that. So any final thoughts on Avar or really anything else as we kind of bring it to a close here? No, it's funny that you kind of mentioned the without having her on the cover, because I wonder if that kind of helped me like her and even, mm. even Elzar Man more, because I wasn't like, oh, man, I, I'm, I wasn't going into it, especially with the title The Eye of Darkness. I wasn't going into it expecting this to be their story, but I was blown away. Yeah, and I think there's something too, like the first book in phase one being Light of the Jedi, and then this one is Eye of Darkness. So you have like light and dark. You have them on opposite sides of the title. You have Elzar and Avar on the cover of one. You have Marcian Rowe on the cover of another. Like I I think they are presented that way very, very um, much on purpose. Like they are setting up mm-hmm. that like, this is the the rise and fall of the Nile, but it's also the rise and fall of these characters that we're dealing with. And like, yeah, it's it's 
guys, it slaps. Like that's all. I don't know what else to say. Like it's just really, really good. And if you've gotten this far into the podcast, you probably have read it and you know the same thing. I think this might be uh, Drew's only legitimate argument for number one book because Ronan is just. I will hear no arguments about that. <laughs> so um, I think this is up there for him. I know it's up there for Devor, and and I'd love to hear uh, where it is for all of you guys who are listening. So make sure you let us know about that. But we need to talk about where it is for us now that we are at the end of the episode. So you were at a, a 4.0 uh, starting off, 4.37, but we don't have to get too technical. So we'll say a 4.0. <laughs> where are you at now? I would bump it up to a 4.5 and honestly because i'm just reminded of something you said um for another book that we had recently done it might have been uh rise of the red blade if i'm not mistaken um but you didn't give it a five because you wanted to keep that so special so as fantastic as this book is and and i can't quite find anything glaringly wrong with it for me it still wasn't you know a, a shadow of the sith it wasn't an inferno squad or a phasma um and maybe because of how much needed to go into getting us to this point versus just picking up a book and being able to jump into it um but it, it's it's phenomenal it's absolutely phenomenal but for me it's not when someone asks what Star Wars book they absolutely have to read, um, it's not like I'm going to say The Eye of Darkness. You know, I might say, hey, look, it's worth reading these other books to get to The Eye of Darkness. But, um, yeah, I, I don't feel comfortable putting it in my Mount Rushmore of Star Wars. But still, for 4.5 out of 5. Okay, well, I just want to make very clear, it was not Inquisitor Rise of the Bla Red Blade, because that one was what a 6 was out of 5. I don't know, but... <laughs> Do not besmirch so, okay. my book by yeah. calling it a four out of five. You, I'm, try I'm trying to remember what it would have been. I, I am not sure. I really don't remember. But uh, mm -hmm. it definitely sounds like something I would have said. That's something that happens to me a lot. I'm like, I don't remember saying it, but it sounds like <laughs> something I would have said. But I was right. Yeah, I agree with past me, uh, even if I don't remember him. And I got to say, I agree with the past me I do remember on this book. I'm still keeping it at a 4.5 out of 5. Uh, like rock solid book, really, really enjoyed it. Um, I, I, the smaller cast makes it much more digestible and I'm really excited to see where things are going forward. Um, I want to know really every dynamic in the book, even, you know, ones we don't get a lot of, I'm intrigued in Gira and, uh, Chancellor So and Gira and Martian and, you know, even the return of Porter Angle, you know, we kind of got teases of that. We mm -hmm. didn't even talk really about uh, real Dario and all that she's doing. And she decides to stay behind the storm wall. So I'm really excited for everything we have coming forward. It's going to be weird getting like very spaced out books in phase three of the high Republic. Like I'm, really you know, we got to be careful what we wish for. Yeah. Because that was that was kind of our not big complaint, but that's something we said in phase one and phase two is like there was no time to breathe. Yeah. And so I'm going to be really intrigued to see, like, what's the time to breathe? What's the time in between these books? Like, how much are we jumping in? Because you know, there's only three adult novels in there. Like, we've got the YAs, we've got the young uh, middle grade novels, which you and I, I know, will read. But when we're talking the main line, we've got three books. We've got two left in this, uh, you know, whole High Republic thing. So I'm really intrigued and excited to see uh, where it is going forward. And of course, you'll be able to listen to all of that here. You'll be able to see our thoughts over on our socials. Uh, you get you get all of us in one feed. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed there. And you can find all of us on any of your socials at Clashing Savers. And Lindsay, if they want to find you in particular, uh, where can they do that? Yeah, guys, absolute best place to find me um, is over in our Facebook group, Star Wars Clashing Savers. But you can also find me on threads right now, um, not so grandless, Lindsay. And we can talk about this or any other Star Wars book, TV show, movie, whatever it is. Yeah, uh, our Facebook group is so much fun. Like, Sometimes people are like sharing stuff they're making. And then other times it's like, here's a random post about Darth Plagueis. It's like, 
Yes, yep. please. Yeah. Like, let's have yep. some fun. A little, bit, so, a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Yeah, it's not just a whole bunch of people posting, you know, the same piece of, of art or whatever that you see in, in a bunch of other groups. We've got a, a, people that want to bring a lot of fun conversation to the group. So it's a, it's a good time over there. And uh, if you are listening to this show, you obviously care about Star Wars books. So if you get the chance, head over to our Patreon and uh, support our endeavor to put Star Wars books into classrooms across the country. Uh, we are, are looking forward to getting to $10,000 total raised here pretty soon. Uh, which is absolutely phenomenal and is all due to our patrons. Uh, when I say we've put hundreds of books, I'm talking hundreds of books into classrooms across the country. So that is all because of you guys. We are just able to be the conduits of it, and we appreciate anything you can do to support us there. So uh, I guess that leaves us waiting for the next High Republic book all the way in January, which I think if we had said in phase one, like, oh, we've only got a month between books, you would have been like, oh, that's fine. And now I'm like, I can't breathe. So we'll be here. And uh, until then, keep reading, keep writing. But whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?